Hey guys, before we get to today's show, wanted to remind you that baseball is back. You probably didn't need reminding of that, but so are your favorite teams and players. You can catch the best of the bigs all season on ESPN Plus with over 170 live MLB games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNPlus.com slash baseball. Plus, it's also draft season. And for the latest news, pro day insights, measurables, trade chatter, and more, check out the first draft podcast with Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper Jr., and frequent Minikheim show guest, Field Yates. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks Alex Leatherwood sounds like something he'd like to chew on. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. It's draft season, but yet again, uh, the desire to talk about the draft has been thwarted or at least precluded or upstaged by a major NFL trade. And so before we get to uh, my guest today, I, I want to talk about this trade a little bit. It is um, between the New York Jets, I almost called them the New York Football Jets, but that doesn't make any sense, and the Carolina Panthers. So Sam Darnold is gone. He is out of New York. In return, the Jets are getting a sixth-round pick this year and a second-round pick in 2022 and a fourth-round pick that year as well. So uh, just first looking at it from the Jets' perspective, I think this was actually a really good deal for them. I think Joe Douglas has done a really excellent job for them so far. Um, we don't have to talk about the Jamal Adams trade right now. But, you know, everybody knew that the Jets were going to take a quarterback, probably Zach Wilson. And at this point in the draft process offseason, it's April um, you know, the number of teams that were realistic destinations for Darnold had been dwindling greatly. I mean, I've been thinking maybe Chicago, um, bringing in to compete with Andy Dalton, hopefully get a little more upside, maybe a team like Washington or Pittsburgh. I don't know. But I, none of those teams I really saw trading a significant haul for him or bringing him in as the clear starter. And with that said, and, and for reasons that are obvious, he's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL since entering the league. Um, he is entering, nearing the end of his rookie contract. Uh, so whatever team traded for him would also have to make the decision, are we going to pick up his fifth-year option, which costs just under $20 million? So all that said, Sam Darnold has been you know, heavily, quote-unquote, devalued, perhaps more so than Josh Rosen was, when he was traded after a season. And so for the Jets to get a second round pick and a fourth and a sixth, you know, next year. So it's obviously worth a little bit less than this year. Well, that's a lot. And I think it's really a good deal for them, frankly. So good business for the Jets. Now, as far as Carolina goes, uh, you know, I'm still kind of thinking this through because I think th they have decisions to make, not only about whether or not to pick up Darnold's option, which I think is, I don't think it's been confirmed, but I imagine it's pretty likely given the fact that they traded so much for them. But what are we going to do with Teddy Bridgewater? This team made no secret of the fact that they wanted to move on from Bridgewater. They were sniffing around Stafford. Uh, I think they made an offer, actually, reportedly. They were linked to Deshaun Watson. That's been on put on hold uh, as he faces allegations of sexual assault. And um, they were also rumored to be considering trading up from pick eight. Um, I imagine a wrench was thrown into that plan when 
San Francisco went up to pick three. Everyone knows they're taking a quarterback. And then all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, well, Atlanta at pick four is in the capper position and could trade down, but they're in division and probably won't trade with Carolina. And I do wonder if that set of circumstances, plus the Watson stuff, you know, led Carolina to think we might not be able to get the guy this year. Uh, so I think this is rich given, again, what Darnold has done in the NFL but I can see how they got here after going through all of their options. I think the criticism for Carolina might be, hey, did you have to do it this year? Why not either take an excellent player at eight or trade down um, and then hold on to those picks and then, you know, have Bridgewater be your starter again and have another like probably mediocre year, but then go into next season um, and either approach the draft or see who's available then because, you know, if you're not going to take a quarterback in this very, very good quarterback year, what's the rush? And I think that's a reasonable criticism, but clearly they like Sam Darnold. So for me, I think the success of this trade for them, a lot of it's going to obviously depend on whether or not Darnold can play better than he did in New York. I think this is a much better situation for him. Um, most places would be a better situation. I think Carolina, the offensive line has some issues. They can now potentially address that with pick eight, by the way. God, if Sewell actually falls to them, that'd be crazy. They can also take a crazy one of the very many good skill players that I'm going to talk about in a second on today's podcast. Um, but they already have good skill players between you know Moore and Anderson, who of course Darnold knows, and uh, a very good offensive coordinator in Joe Brady. Like for Darnold, God, to go here instead of Chicago, I think, you know, given the fact that he really needs this is his shot to turn his career out, I think it's a big win for him. So he's a big winner. The Jets are a big winner. We'll see if Carolina is a winner. We'll also see what they end up doing with Teddy Bridgewater, um, who, you know, costs them about $20, $20 million to cut. Uh, I think a bit less if they traded him. They probably have to restructure the deal for a team to jump on that. Uh, and some of that also depends on when they would do it. But I do think, I imagine they would be interested in restructuring his contract and trying to move on. And that's a whole other ball of wax. So all that said, no trade grades from me, but good job, New York. Happy for you, Sam and Carolina. The jury is still out. All right. So that is where we are right now with all things Sam Darnold, Carolina, New York Jets. It does have all a lot of relevance to the draft, as I said. Um, but I, you know, as promised, we are going to start talking about the draft this week. We were actually going to talk about it last week, but then the Niners trade happened. So it's like the NFL keeps getting in the way of my next, of my guest this week, who it, it's been, I think, exactly a year since I had Spencer Hall on. And when I asked, and I, and I love podcasting with him, but, you know, Spencer covers college football, which, this is the time of year when we start talking about it. And Spencer, when I reached out to you, I think I, I pointed out that you made me look very smart last year by telling me to be excited about Antonio Gibson. That is correct. And that that's all I do <laughs> is I make I make other people smarter. Not me. Not me. No, no, no. I'm I'm engaged in the business of making myself look dumber at every turn. But I'm just going to give everybody the free stuff. And yeah, Antonio Gibson, I believe also as... Your producer reminded me I was big on Van Jefferson. Van Jefferson hmm. had an, had some production. Decent, he's yeah. Probably, I, yeah, I think he's going to end up like doing even more with the Rams because I just think, you know, hey, you got to open off play action. It's a neat trick. 
Yeah, and playing with Matt Stafford certainly helps the cause as well, a little bit relative to Jared Goff. Well, I'm okay, so everyone is listening. Spencer wants to make you look smart while making himself look dumb. So we're going to try to do our best today. Um, I figured we today, this week, we're going to talk about the like fun, sexy skill players. And so we're going to do wide receivers. Right? Not that defensive linemen can't be sexy too. But um, this, this, I guess, for fantasy-interested people, this side of things tends to be a little bit sexier. So we're going to – I'll promise to stop saying sexy. So we're going to talk about – wide receivers, tight ends a little bit, running backs. And then in the second half, uh, we're going to talk about quarterbacks a little bit um, and just kind of your thoughts on some some of the, the top QBs in the draft. And then next week, just to kind of give you a little bit of a preview, Mike Renner from PFF is going to come on the show and we're going to talk about the linemen and then the defensive players in the draft. Um I know you like some of them too, and you also find some of them to be very sexy. So I'm sorry to not actually have you do that this week. Oh, that's fine. I they know that I love them. Yeah, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm I'm like I'm I'm like first team big man appreciation squad. So this is actually kind of a role reversal for me well, to go into the skill guys and yeah, I know it's right. kind of funny, right? Yeah, I'm having uh, Mike on to talk about like linemen and like Christian Barmore and the belly rollers, and you're coming on to talk about like the all the the many, many, many slot receivers in this year's draft. Um, you know, I, you and I did text a little bit about the edge rusher Spencer because we were talking about how difficult it is to evaluate certain players in particular in the first round. And when I say, by the way, talking about these players, we're talking about like the top big name guys. We're not doing, you know, all 50, you know, wide receivers you need to know, but it's probably not 50, but it is like, because of the abbreviated season, it, it is interesting to kind of think bigger picture about not just the players who obviously opted out like a Jamar chase. who we'll get to and how their draft stock was limited, but just players who actually did play, but not even maybe didn't play well or, you know, played without the benefit of a full schedule, but also didn't have the opportunity to, I guess, advance in their college careers and how that complicates the evaluation process. We were, you and I were talking about it vis-a-vis some edge rushers, but I certainly think it applies to a lot of the wide receivers in this class. Absolutely. And there are so many delays and so many things working against a clear picture of any of them. That's that to me. And by the way, that 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 happens at every level, right? You, mm. you cover pros. I, I cover college primarily, and the same issues cropped up this year, not just with COVID and opt outs, creating an entirely different sort of data set. We have a year of film that's just missing. It's just not there for a lot of these guys. So the data set is much smaller. You're taking a little more of a chance, right? Now, obviously, if you see somebody, right? Uh, we're going to talk about this with like Kyle Shanahan and, and who they're going to end up picking at San Francisco, but it, it will come down to primary decision makers just seeing somebody and saying, I can work with that. And there's a lot of reason that they have to say that. Okay, one, that small data set. We don't have a lot of film on everybody. And two, another reason is this, that people in college are really sort of getting less and less time to develop uh, for a lot of good reasons. Players can transfer now. That's cool. Uh, players are sometimes put in systems where they really don't get to shine. You know, edge rushers, edge rushers are always going to have a spot, but 
a lot of the offenses in college now have really cut down on the amount of uh, sitting ducks just standing back there waiting to be annihilated, right? Like that's good. Quarterbacks are more mobile than ever before. They are moved and they are on the move by design more than ever before. So the edge rusher, you know, if an edge rusher pops to you, go ahead and take him. That's a serious impact position, but there's a lot of things that are working against anyone getting a super clear position. If you asked me this year and said, okay, well, well, who's a guy who just sort of jumps off the page for you? I do not have an answer at edge rusher. I, I, I really don't. Really? Right. And, and that's for all. No, I, I, this is just not a year where I go, Hey, there's a dude out there. Having said that, by the way, and, and this is again, NFL draft rules. Uh, having said that you're going to see somebody come out and just absolutely blow up and get like 20 sacks in, in yeah. a season. Well, that, that, that's right? totally that how I feel about the edge rusher class is like the ceiling is insane, but I also have no idea where the floor is for a lot of these guys. Um, with wide receiver, it's a little bit different because uh, like, a lot of these players, I think the questions I have are like, can they play outside? Can they run routes? Um, and then you have players like Kyle Pitts, uh, who clearly benefited from this season because his quarterback became a quarterback and could throw him the ball. Or in, you know, with Kyle Pitts, all you have to do is throw in the vicinity of him. Or even like a Jamar Chase, Spencer, where like I don't think he was hurt at all by not playing this year. In fact, for, for the opposite reason, right? Where he got to play with Joe Burrow. And then this year he's like, ah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Everybody knows, saw how good I was last year. And there aren't really question marks about him. Um, so, so you take players like that and it's like, oh, actually, you know what? These guys, their draft status wasn't hurt by this. And we have a pretty clear picture of who they are. But you go to a, 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 just staying in the wide receivers for a moment, you go to a player like Jalen Waddell where not only did he get hurt this year, but, you know, he still has a lack of experience, frankly, of just pure reps, where I think there are still some question marks about him as we look at the top four and try to figure out how to order them. Yeah, and also had a, a, a you know, it's up to you to decide whether you play off an injury or not. I know Jalen Waddle wanted to play in the national championship game. It is painful to watch him out there. He did not look like the same player. And I know some very analytical and very cold-blooded people who are going to be clinical and say, well, clearly that's not the same player. I just think it's going to be hard for some people to watch when you draft that guy and you'll go, well, last time I saw him, he was gimping around a field. And that's, you know, that that's just, that's unavoidable, right? I, I think Jalen Waddle was hurt by it. I think there's a number of people, though, who like Jamar Chase, obviously, you know, Jamar Chase, if you don't have the chance to play football for a year, but you can train with people who are going to get you ready yeah. for the draft and keep you in shape. I don't think not playing football for a year is a bad thing, especially in terms of mileage on the body. Hmm. It's a full contact sport. Go ahead. Take that. You know, we've seen a lot of players in college come into the pros and say, well, you know, he's got a year or two of experience. Negatives might be, OK, you've got a lack of reps. The positives might be you have less mileage on the body than ever before right for prospects coming into the league and that's that's nothing but good when you're looking at okay how durable is this player and how much am i going to get out of him? that's a real cold calculation by the way but you know there's kind of decisions that people are making here yeah and i think chase again like not you know i mentioned the quarterback he got to play with joe burrow which by the way if if we're trying to like find dings on chase I think that's a t actually a pretty reasonable one is that Joe Burrow plays mm -hmm. the football perfectly into his <laughs> hands like a little baby being, you know, handed to his mama. But um, mm -hmm. he looked at that season and was like, yeah, you know what? I played 
Cam Dantzler, Trevon Diggs. I baptized AJ Terrell. What do I have to prove? Um, do you do you feel like he's the unequivocal number one? Let me ask you that because I think he's a really interesting player because um, he's a player where you he's like actually not that big and not that fast, but I mean he's fast, but you know what I mean. But he just comes down with the football and gets open, which is so lame sounding. And I know there's much more technical ways to talk about his ability to separate and, you know, his his release and his physicality at the line of scrimmage and all of that. But, like, do you have any doubts? Like, we talked about why he didn't play this season. Do you have any doubts about him? None. I okay. don't. Fair and enough. That's, and, that's, and that's because... And and if somebody said, well, what's like the what's the the what makes you so confident in that? It's Jamar Chase's strength. He is so like, and I'm, I'm going to repeat this for Devonte Smith. They are Ooh, both I love that. so in they are both so inhumanly strong and in very different frames, but they are both so insanely strong at the point of attack, whether it's getting off of uh you know bump and run or whether it's blocking or, you know, whether it's after the catch managing to break a tackle or two. Jamar Chase is just rock solid. I mean, dude is just built and is explosive to boot. All at, you know, what? He's listed at 208. I mean, that is a that is a beastly 208. It's so weird, right? I, I don't he, have, he's only six foot yeah. one and he's only 208 and his 40 times aren't that great. Like he's the ultimate watch the tape player. Mm-hmm. And you'll get that, by the way. I think we're, if you look at this class, aside from if we're going to cheat a little bit, it, Terrace Marshall Jr. is interesting to me because he's an LSU wide receiver who doesn't look like a running back. Traditionally to me, every skill player at LSU is a running back. All of them. They're just sort of shuffled around the field. That just, I don't know why that works out at LSU. It's just everybody's a running back, quarterback, running back, right? Joe Burrow's sort of the historical exception to that. Uh, you know, wide receiver, also a running back. Tight end, that's just a big running back at LSU. They, they're all the same. They all have the sort of same explosive profile. Terrace Marshall's sort of interesting because he's actually your classic lanky, like, 6'3 guy. Yeah. As opposed to being, like, this little ball of muscle that you can get the ball to on the edge. And and that's interesting because I think that's way more common now. You say everybody in this in this recruiting class is a slot receiver. I, I think we've seen now with the way offenses are going in college, you know, you don't need these guys who are ladders that can run four fives to go up and get balls. No, you, you, you know, like there, Julio Jones is obviously an exception in a lot of ways, but now in the college game, you've got guys who are coming out of the slot or who can make guys miss on the edge who aren't necessarily real tall, who aren't necessarily yeah. real big. You know, even uh, Devontae Smith, uh, Alabama's had this same dude. Like they they recruit the same guy who looks the same, right? They they all look a little skinny, and they're all in somehow insanely powerful despite being, you know, sort of lean and sort of thin. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, um, you know, Amari Cooper, all of these guys. They just come out of a mold, right? Again, Julio Jones is an exception to the rule there. You get this guy who they're going to be so precise with the way they run routes, and they're going to get so coached, even overcoached, uh, in terms of 
how they execute their route running and how professional they are and the attention to detail. They just keep printing this same guy because Alabama recruits whatever they want. And that's what they want at receiver. And I think that, you know, everybody in the draft is going to kind of have to figure out how to go with that. Right. N- not that you have it anyway. A- Andy Reid's ready to do that. If you tell Andy Reid, hey, I- I'll give you Kadarius Tony, yeah. for instance, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll give you Kadarius Tony. Right. Who he's listed at six feet. That's that's in cleats. That's, yeah, that's that, what... that kid. That he's not six feet tall. Um, no, no. no. God, Kadarius Tony. We'll, we'll talk about him in a second. But yeah, it, I was watching um, Stanford, and I was texting mm-hmm. um, Nate Tice, who I think you know, because I was um, laughing because um, Simi Fahoko is his name. I had not. I I was. I mm-hmm. just was like, who is this guy? He doesn't know how to catch or run routes. But he's a physical, he's like a monster. He's six foot four, at least, you know, big DK, like the closest thing to DK Metcalf. And and then I realized it was striking just because of how much he stood out because I had spent the last week watching small guys. Um, you know, like even like there's the Moors, Rondell and Elijah, there's Mm-hmm. Rashad Bateman, whom I love and we can talk about, you know, he's maybe six two, not like I know they're all running six or four three nines, but they're all not that fast. Jalen Waddle's really fast, but um, and Devontae Smith is very fast. But like there, it, it there's like a there's not a lot of physicality in this class. There's a lot of really good players, really great movement skills, really shifty receivers, but there aren't those kinds of raw guys who just kind of blow you away at the combine really that much. And um, you know, I'm sure Waddle would run an insane forty if you know he was able to do so but i it is funny to me that like smith and chase the pro like i think most people have them at one and two i think chase seems to be kind of you know most people have chase at one it is interesting Mm -hmm. that they're not like they're just like normal sized humans um well and smith is not normal size he is he's tiny he is uh he is if he succeeds in the nfl it will be historically unprecedented so i love that you talked about how strong he is because he probably Mm -hmm. pound for pound is the strongest person in the draft like on a like an ant you know like how ants if you go pound for pound and when you watch him there is his size simply does not show up on the tape he does not get bullied off the ball he does not get jammed he does not like cornerbacks are not able to get leverage on him but like you look at him and it's simply like I'm just like I have not seen this. I have not seen a player look like you succeed in the NFL. No, and this is the same for somebody like Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. If you ask me how tall Elijah Moore was without looking at the chart, I would have told you Elijah Moore was six seven. That's how he played. He just played like a gigantic human being. He's listed at five nine. That's that's and that's Wrong a lot of that skinny. is. Yeah, a lot a lot of that is scheme and space. It, it's yeah. getting guys open and you're seeing this by the way. And that's something you have to do with with Alabama in particular. Alabama will recruit the best players in the country and they will give them more focused development and study time and training for what they need to do to be a professional than any other program. That's why they get the talent in the first place. The other thing that 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 they will do is they will make sure that they are successful within their scheme. 
so so we're now having to start to do things like gently suggest you know i'm not saying that that's a system wide receiver or a system quarterback but you do have to discount everyone on the team being so much better than most of the people they face than 90 percent of the people that they are facing you're gonna have to you're gonna have to tease your expectations down a little bit right it's the opposite of what you have to do for um for somebody like Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State, or um, mm. or for somebody like or for an, somebody who's going to be, I think, an overachiever like uh, the aforementioned Kadarius Tony or uh, Rondale Moore, who Rondale Moore is by standard deviations like two or three times better than the people he's playing with on on Purdue, like just as average on the squad, and that is no insult to anyone playing on the Purdue Boilermakers right now. That's just because Rondale Moore is such an athletic freak compared to everyone else around him. Isn't he like the strongest five foot seven receiver ever or something? He broke some kind of crazy weightlifting record, I feel like. Um, let's just let let's just say that because I know that right. at about one at 180 pounds, Rondell Moore squatted 600. <laughs> so stupid. Um so back to the Bama guys. So let's let's just kind of dial in on the top three right now, mm-hmm. which is I, I really think it's a top four. I think Bateman belongs in that conversation, um, yep. personally. So I, I think you've got Chase, Smith, Waddle, Bateman are in that group. And to me, um, you know, we're looking at this group of teams in the NFL, and like I think there's questions like what kind of receivers do you have? What kind of receivers did you need? I think Waddle, given there's this Everyone was really shocked when Henry Ruggs went so early, even though it really a lot of that just had to do with John Gruden going to John Gruden. But mm-hmm. um, I think every team in the NFL wants a Tyreek Hill. Like they want a guy. And I think, by the way, Jalen Waddle, it's unf- he's not just a speedster. He's a great route runner with really good hands. But he's like the closest thing where like uh, to any of these players that can approximate that. Um, and he, you know, he... Mm-hmm can turn a seven yard slant into 40 yards. And so I think there's just, there's a lot of, I mean, shoot, the guy scored a touchdown for like one of every six catches. Like he's just ridiculous. So I get that. I just think with Smith. So I think Bateman is like the most complete and with Smith. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's that Bama thing where like they scheme him open a lot, but he's the one where, when I watch him, there's like it is. While I say on in one, I'm kind of speaking on both sides of my ho- mouth because on one hand I'm saying like I've, I've never seen like a guy like this succeed in the NFL, but the, on the other hand, all of the things he can do, in particular, the way the route running, the way he explodes out of his breaks, the fact the body control. I can't believe I'm not, I haven't even mentioned mm-hmm. the leaping ability. The fact that he can modulate his speed so much, which reminds me a little bit of Antonio Brown, I see all of that translating to the NFL so clearly in my mind. Yeah, or you know, Chris Carter. If you want to go back a little bit, you know, Chris Carter was good at like slow fast. Yeah, good slow at sort fast. Of put, yeah, yeah, good, good at sort of you know putting people on the brakes yeah. and then hitting the gas because that's a one thing. I've never seen anybody. Like Devonte Smith, to me, if you said, "Well, what's the real asset here?" If I've got a guy who's kind of undersized and is playing in uh, a system where he's going to get the ball on time and 
the quarterback will have good protection and there are two sometimes three other receivers who by the way are better than everyone else in the nation who are also on the depth chart like go look at the depth chart they're, they're getting to be like Kane's running back room 2001 yeah. territory in terms of ridiculousness and depth or hey maybe Alabama 2016 2015 running back room if you listen to Alan Kamara talk about walking in and going man what what are we doing here yeah. <laughs> when they walk in and see Derrick Henry like that's if you're a receiver at Alabama and you walk in you kind of have to think well I must be awesome <laughs> because the other alternative is every single one of these guys go in the first round so what am I doing trying to get reps here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with Devontae Smith that makes him so different, if I said, well, what's the asset there? I've never seen anybody use route running and fakes and technique to get open better in college. Like he would just, you're, you're looking at it, you're going, I don't know how he's doing this because the corner's doing most things right. And then he does one thing wrong and he's five yards open five yards open in a conference where by the way like you don't get five yards open very often in the sdc against pretty good teams right might happen against your your arkansas's right not not that not this year sorry arkansas that was unfair of me Your, your defense carried you this year but you know most of the time you're not getting five yards open that's just not happening and he would do it with just like a like a swivel of the hips and a turn of the head and knowing exactly where he was going and he would get the ball in space, and then he'd make everyone look stupid because he can blaze. So that's what I would say. If you go, okay, I want to feel good about Devontae Smith because I'm looking at him. Like, well, one, uh, dude was an exemplary member of the program. You don't, I don't think you have anything to worry about in terms of, you know, all of the things, the, the sort of I- intangibles leading up to it. Physically, you know, he's way stronger than he looks. Mm-hmm. You know, he looks slight. Dude is wires. And three, go watch him run routes. Go watch him work a dude up and down the route tree, and it's brutal. It is not it. It is not cool to watch him do that because at first you're like, "Oh man, this is awesome," but then you just start feeling bad for the corner. Oh yeah, I mean, constantly feeling terrible. I think the some there's some concern over like, okay, well, you know, when Waddle was out there, like who was actually the best receiver? I mean, I fifth. I mean. It, Smith ranks in the top five in like every category, like no matter how you slice up receiving statistics, deep yards, screen yards, first in both, slot yards, mm-hmm. contested catches. I mean, it's just obscene. He does, he did everything you could ask in terms of playing the position. And I am, yet here I am having him behind Smith because of the weight thing. I don't know. I, I, at some point, like this is, we are talking about the draft. We are going to have to like decide, like you and I can just be like, all four of these guys are incredibly awesome, but an NFL team is going to have to decide whoever's picking, whether it's Miami trading up to six and we'll, you know, we'll see. They're going to have to decide what order to put them in. And I feel like my fears are having me go chase Smith, Waddle, Bateman. I don't know if that's right. But I am too. I'm too much of a coward to go otherwise. Do we agree yeah. that's the top four? Looking- can we can we go there? Is that the top four? Am I missing anyone? Do you feel good about that top four? I mean, I'm. This is. I, I will fully admit to being completely irrational in this. I'm gonna go ahead and move up Rondale Moore over. I, he's he's fifth for me. He's fifth. He's really good. And he could get better. And he's also now entering a league where they see a dude like that. And they say, okay, 
we've got we we have plenty of plays to steal mm-hmm. from Andy Reid to, to get the ball to somebody who's just uh, a, a tiny little ball of angry lightning that you know we can figure out ways to get him the ball where it's really going to matter because now you get like like if you have Rondell Moore I I just go back and watch that game against Northwestern it's his first game. And he does two things that are amazing. One, he shreds a Northwestern defense, which is a good, very intelligent defense that didn't have any film on him. It's this like watching Blau, right? This was when back when uh, David Blau was a quarterback. I mean, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now on the Lions, I feel like he had that one legendary Thanksgiving game where, anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this this was this was like watching somebody. Yeah. Le- yeah, this was like watching somebody let the Raptors loose at the zoo in Jurassic <laughs> Park, right? This was like like they had no film on him. They just let him loose. And you can see Northwestern just going, what is this thing? You mm. can't handle it. Like, like you know, shut shut the park down. Get the guests out. It's not good. <laughs> well, I think, I think and, your point about him, his upside, though, is really important because he wasn't you know, he, he had a limited route tree at Purdue. He was mostly, you know, he was a slot receiver. He was mostly used on the short stuff. He obviously didn't play with great quarterbacks. So it's, there's just so much untapped potential there. They brought him and they brought him a little further. Like if you, um, I did a whole piece about this where you can see they, they brought him a little bit further along. They really did. They let him, they let him go deeper down the field with a you know greater diversity of routes. So you know, it wasn't like Purdue was it wasn't like Purdue didn't have that. It was just that he was a really young player in his first season, and that we don't have a whole lot of film on him because um, you know he gets injured, and then you have the entire opt out year. Um, so good news is that he's fresh. The bad news is that you're going to have to develop his um, his technique, and you're going to have to, which is not. Not unique, right? Like, I know everybody's going to, you know, you you just talked about Darnold. You know, you don't hang up on a young player just because just because they didn't receive the kind of, you know, they didn't immediately come out and find the kind of success due to their lack of training, particularly a quarterback. But like for other positions, that goes as well. I feel like you're going to be able to get away with papering some of that over with Rondale Moore with his explosiveness. And he gets loose in the field. It's not like you're going to take him down with an ankle tackle. That's not happening. Again, 600 pounds at 180 pounds of body weight. <laughs> well, all right. A literal, a literal ant out there running routes for you. This goes to kind of, again, like there's the guys who our evaluation is complicated by the fact that we just haven't seen as much as them. So you're looking at strength, you're looking at traits, mm-hmm. you're looking at a few games and putting perhaps more emphasis in them than you would coming off of a normal season. I also think with him, because so after, I, I know you got him in that top tier, but you know, the Moors are kind of being grouped together. And then you're looking at, there, there are a bunch of guys outside of, I'd say, Terrace Marshall, where you, I know Ron, um, Rashad Bateman played in the slot last year, but before that he played outside. Also, I feel like everyone mm-hmm. assumes he could be an ex. But with Rondale, Elijah, um, there's a bunch of other guys too. You, 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 like Kate Johnson, uh, South Dakota State, mm-hmm. is a guy who jumps out to me. Um, Tutu Atwell. Are yeah. you, you start looking at these guys and you're like, are you a slot receiver or can you play outside? And then there's a secondary question, Spencer, which is now in the NFL, like slot receivers have never been more valuable because you've got so many teams with three wide receivers on the field. So should we be, deva- like we've seen you destroy defenses 
Like, should we be devaluing you purely because, you know, you're five nine? Like, I think that's a question now being asked in the NFL more than ever before, even though with, it sounds like with college, you know, you already got there. I mean, it, I think it it all depends on whether you feel like you can get them in a position to succeed, whether that's, you know, X, Y or Z, whether that's, uh, you know, whether you do something like I, I know I keep going back to the Chiefs, but they just do so much cool stuff. You know, in terms of working with their material. And one thing that the Chiefs do a great job of is taking and that the Patriots did before is taking somebody who, OK, where's our size? Right. Do we do we have a Rashad Bateman that we can put out there at X? And, you know, he's he's our big target. OK, cool. If you have that. Awesome. If you don't. OK, well, where is he? You know, because you're probably going to need that at one point in order to create the kind of matchups you want. OK, well, they have Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs, right? The Patriots had Gronkowski. Then you can work with smaller guys on the corners and at the edge. Okay, cool. Now we can start, you know, making some matchups. So it really depends on, you know, this is, again, a really squishy answer that is context dependent. No, it depends on the but team. Can you yeah. Put somebody, it depends. It, it depends on the team, right? Like, that's the cool thing about the draft. Everybody's got a different story and everyone has different needs. If you have the Raiders, you know, the Raiders are still running, you know, what is essentially like an evolved, but very clearly still there West Coast offense. And that's a timing and spacing offense, right? Well, they're all timing and spacing offenses. Okay. Especially the Raiders. That's, you're going to have a lot of tried and true West Coast principles where you're going to need super precise route running where the time is going to have to be there. Um, and where they might change on the fly. That's something where, by the way, I think that somebody like Devontae Smith could be really successful in that framework. I think they could do great work there. You do have guys who I think it's going to be, you're going to have to do way more tailoring and way more crafting to get them in a position to succeed. You know, somebody like, let's go way down the list here. Tutu Atwell, okay? God, he is fast as shit. Like, that's the best <laughs> description. Like, I'm an English major. I've written for a living. I don't know any other way to describe him. He is just slick. Like, that is just a grease fire, man. He is gone if he is in the open field. He is also 165 pounds. And honestly, that's probably with a couple of biscuits, right, on the scale. Like, he is <laughs> so, he is not a big dude. So you'd have to do a lot of crafting and a lot of, like, you know, catering to him. Where it's like, I don't know, if you're a team and you just got a, a big old dude like Rashad Bateman, you got, you know, you yeah, got somebody who's right. just a big piece of big piece of lumber right there. That's a big pile of lumber, <laughs> Rashad Bateman, right? <sighs> who's not you even? Gotta, it's you got He's not even that big, but he just plays really big. And he plays, but big. he also he he's, his the route running ability with that size is mm -hmm. incredible. Like I've seen freaky people comp him to Michael Thomas, but then I've also seen people comp him to Keenan Allen. I'm like, you know what? They kind of both make sense. Yeah. Um, whereas Atwell, 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 I think it's gonna, there's going to be a question about whether or not he's a gadget guy um, in the mm -hmm. NFL. And But yeah, I think your point about team, it, it's so important because like a team, when you look at teams, especially teams near picking later in the draft, like, I don't know, a Green Bay, well, they've got a number one in Devontae Smith. And then they've got Alan Lazard, who's pretty big, and Big Bob Tanyan. I would love one of the Moors to land there, uh, whether it's Rondell oh, yeah. or Elijah. Like, And again, that's all about fit. I don't, you know, like, there might be a better wide receiver, although I do have them ranked next. I guess a better example would be like maybe like a Terrace Marshall Jr. versus a Kadarius Toney. 
or I don't know, uh, Deami Brown. Like I think they, well, Deami Brown's pretty big, but I think they would be better off with a twitchier underneath guy, a slot or Randall Cobb 2.0 potentially, just purely because about, of who's no, there. I was about to say Randall Cobb. Like I could use that. This, God, Randall Cobb is Randall Cobb's a perfect comp too for like if you're gonna what's the best possible outcome for Kadarius Tony Randall Cobb that's it comparable size <sighs> comparable moves uh, the the ability to make fingers evaporate like tacklers have fingers when they approach him and then they just sort of evaporate Kadarius Tony is one of those guys who just gets in trouble. Just oh, he, his film is uh, nonsense too it, i posted a mario mm-hmm. clip where he's like going to the impossible level because he doesn't mm-hmm. really run routes he just kind nope. of is on the field um so yeah that's a pretty funny one all right that's I, we gotta hit pause on the wide receivers and talk about the running backs a little bit after the break for the ones who get it done granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer call click granger.com or just stop by i spent the weekend watching unc i will confess now i do not watch a lot of unc football during my life, mm-hmm. during the NFL season. How the hell did they get both of those running backs? Well, I know now because I asked that on Twitter and people told me it's because Javante Williams was like recruited as a linebacker or a safety or something silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and am I crazy for thinking Javante Williams is not only at least RB3, but belongs in the conversation with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne? Um, I think as long as we preface it with uh, the understanding that these are demonstrated like thousand tool players, like <laughs> these are guys who have the full skill set who are ahead of him, I have no problem. What, what, whatever do you want to do with Javante Williams and Michael Carter on the field? You can do it. You can watch watch UNC. It's not like they threw to their guys back. I think they each had like maybe two receptions a game. But when they did, they're running wheel routes. Yes. Right. Both <laughs> of them, both of them are good pass catchers. Both of them can actually block too, which I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, 25, just laid a dude out. Um, they're both really good. Williams to me is the clear number one, just purely because of the the balance that clip I post on the uh, was him like shedding a couple tackles. He probably shed like a proc. I wasn't counting, but I think 40 to probably 600 tackles a game. Yeah. Javante Williams. Yeah. Javante Williams. it, It is, it is hard for me to say that one running back has better vision than the other because Javante Williams has the kind of vision that comes with the size at 220 where if you see a guy and go, hey, there's a gap to the right, or I could put you in the dirt, he sometimes chose to put people in the dirt. That's how good he is. He could say, I might take you left. Yeah, he's a violent runner. Point of contact, nasty, big. 220, probably get a little bit bigger when he goes to the pros. I think that's why he's ahead on most boards, honestly, is because the durability and the height, Like there's no question there. You go, okay, this is somebody who looks a little bit more like an NFL running back straight out of the box. Carter, he is the guy who I think uh, is probably going to be a little more of a home run hitter because he doesn't quite get the same level of contact at the line. 
and tends to uh, his vision he tends to see a little bit further down the field. So I could see him as the kind of guy who, you know, to me, he and Travis Etienne are a little more comparable in the sense that mm. you might get a, a few more carries where they're going to be stopped, you know, one or two yards, and then they're going to pop one. Yeah. Third. So, okay. So that's a good segue to Etienne because I've seen Etienne Harris ranked one and two alternately on different people's boards. Um, I think... So the case for ETN is you're right. He he is he, first of all his top end speed is far superior. I actually don't know what their forties yeah. are, but when he hits the accelerator, it's over. And he has, I think, like some kind of insane touchdown record. Anyways, he is the big play guy. However, he strikes out a lot, and I was a little bit nervous watching how often he bounces and runs into the backs of his offensive linemen. I worry about the down-to-down consistency. Um, Granted, Alabama's offensive line is much better than Clemson's. Um, But to me, Harris, especially with the route-running ability he's developed over the course of his career, just seems like the obvious can't-miss back in this class. Harris is the more obvious pick. You know, I I think Harris in terms of his ability to everything, pass block, run, yeah. uh, his understanding of game situations is is going to be a delight for coaches, right? When I when I need to get out of bounds, when I don't need to get out of bounds, right? Uh, the attention to detail, again, this is a theme with Alabama players. They just sort of have all this stuff lined up. Um, the... Uh, Najee Harris, like, and, and not that Travis Etienne didn't have this, but you know, when they come into the room, you look around and you go, okay, three first rounders here, yeah. four first rounders here, maybe a Heisman winner, maybe two Heisman winners sitting in the room. I don't think he's going to be overawed by the pro experience like some players coming into the league, nor do I think he's going to be overly arrogant about it. Did you see his? Uh, interview after the win over Ohio State where somebody said, yeah, you guys made it look easy. And Najee Harris said, that was hard. Oh, he that hurt. He also <laughs> seems to be like a delight. So I'm also biased because I oh, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. love like everything about him based on the exposure. That, that ma- but that matters, right? Like, okay, you, you know, you have special rules for talent. Everyone in the NFL is talented. You might get a Randy Moss every now and then, but everyone is an absolute freak. That's the thing for me as a college fan. If I'm watching the game, mm-hmm. I look up and go, oh, that guy was great. And then they're like, there's some guy who, you know, uh, misses a tackle for a TD. And I'm like, well, but that guy was great. They go, oh, but that, oh, every, they're all incredible. They're all amazing athletes, right? So that matters if you're talking about, okay, do I like him? Yeah, I don't, I don't see a team that Najee Harris would go to where he doesn't instantly fit in the locker room, right? And a lot of this kind of draft talk, right, the most nonsensical bits come down to, you know, well, I don't know. He doesn't seem like our kind of guy. I cannot imagine a team where Najee Harris is not your guy, yes. right? Although where I, I wish you know, Javante Williams' nickname is Pookie, and he was valedictorian, so he's got a strong contender. He's uh, my heart. Again, he's, yeah, pretty torn, but yeah. Can, Cannot cannot imagine a, a locker room where Javante Williams walks in Pookie. and where Pookie is not instantly adored. Right. Um, I want to just hit one thing on Harris. Like, so I was watching the Alabama offensive line because um, Michael Jr. was teaching me about offensive line play the other day because he's truly, truly a great friend. And while I was watching, I tended to get distracted by watching Najee Harris run behind it because while the offensive line is very good. Um, 
when they are not good, when they would, I don't know, either have a miscommunication in response to a stun or just get pushed backwards and he'd have to bubble out. Najee Harris has a way of erasing mistakes. So whereas Mm -hmm. I think like ETN will take daylight and turn it into a sunset. That's not a good way of, you know what I mean? Um, Najee Harris will not turn a small problem into a bigger problem. He will fix your errors and through a combination of, as you mentioned, his knowledge of situation, his, his very good vision and also his incredible stop start ability. So like a defensive end will make the correct read and penetrate and, you know, and, and his ability to not create negative plays, I think is just so underrated. Um, yeah, I just think he's the clear RB one to me in this draft. So a lot, a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of, listen, th- that dude understands band-aid plays. And I think band-aid plays in the NFL, given the speed of every single defender on the field, that's super important to know that if I take a yard loss or if it's only a one yard or a two yard uh, run, that's fine. As long as I can keep the variance low mm. on these plays. Whereas, you know, I, I think you might see with ETN, you might see something akin to Saquon Barkley's transition in the NFL that's where he yes. come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and where he knows, because he knows once he figures out the angles and the speed of the game, he's going to bust 50 yarders. He's going to bust 60 yarders, but there's going to be two to three years of figuring that out. In the meantime, you're going to get some plays that are going to probably put your offense into instant punting situations. Najee Harris is not going to do that. That's not to say he's not explosive. However, I will say this, that you have to understand Travis Etienne's speed and you have to understand the nature of it. It's this, it is the 50 yard dash. If you get him in the open field, that dude has nitrous. I don't know where it is in his body. I don't know how he hits it. But when he hits like the 20-yard mark, that guy has a different gear. It's just different. And I don't even know if it'll show up in the 40. But once he gets that open speed, like Leonard Fournette could do this, believe it or not, at his speed, at his size. I think he hit the highest speed uh, in the NFL one year on like a 60-yard run. But it came at like the 50-yard mark. Once he's out there, it's over. You're not catching him. Yeah, his ability. Yes, exactly. The, when, when he breaks away and all of a sudden he's 10 yards out and, and you actually see him picking up speed as the defenders are losing. I mean, it's it's really remarkable. Um, and you're, I love that Barkley comparison because you and, and, and really it cuts to the importance again of landing spot because, again, the Clemson offensive line was not good. I want to mention this when we talk about Lawrence a little bit, but I think there's like this misperception that everyone at Clemson is good because they've been this really successful program. When you actually watch Clemson uh, this year, you start to realize, wow, like this was, there's some real issues on this offense. And I do think if ETN lands with the wrong team, um, you will see similar things to what you saw with Saquon in New York, frankly, the first two years, or even Edwards Lair, like everyone thinks, wow, Chiefs, dream destination. Actually, they've had issues with run blocking for a bit, you know? So before we wrap up with the running backs, um, is there anyone else that you love that you'd like to highlight for listeners in the, in the way that you did Antonio Gibson last year? Oh, it, it, I'm so glad you asked because I have two. And one, are you willing to take a chance? Are you willing to take, a, you know, so, some lumps? Are Let's you willing to go? 
the development route here. Go because crazy because because if you do a crazy okay. one and you're right, everyone's going to remember. And if you're wrong, nobody will remember. I got two. Low mileage, Kylan Hill. All right. Opted out this year. Kylan Hill mm-hmm. from Mississippi State. Dude could burn. He is in the open field. If you talk to SEC defenders, the one person that they did not want to face because he's going to make you look real stupid in a very small amount of space is Kylan Hill. Can catch just passes a, too. Just a hand. Oh yeah, can catch passes too. Proved it and like did the probably the smartest opt out of the year, which was proved he could catch a bunch of passes in that Mike Leach offense for a game or two. They shut it down. Just like okay, cool. I, I showed you I could do it. Put it on film. Bye. I'm going to just I'm going to sleep 10 hours a day like Superman and I'm just going to train for the NFL draft and I'll see y'all in the first second round. Right. Like I, I love Kylan Hill. I love uh, what he does off the field. And, and I especially love what he does on flag the flag change so, for those who don't know. Google it. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 So you, you want somebody you want somebody with some spine. Kylan Hill is an excellent pull there. Um, I have savings for you. I got a deal. OK, <laughs> I, I, I didn't really realize this until like before the call. Kenneth Gainwell. Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, another Antonio Gibson X prospect because yes. Kenneth Gainwell, not only an, an underrated skill player at the running back position, guy has hands. He He's might be hands. a slot receiver in the NFL. That's my, he, he, I, I, he I'm really just going to throw that out there. I'm not sure he's going to be a back in the league. I like no. him, but you know, those Memphis players, man. Mm-hmm. And if he's and if by the way, if he's in the drawer, like it, just find a place for him okay because you need him to catch you need him to run dude is nasty with the ball in his hands and again this is a memphis thing right we talk about certain kinds of programs are going to find players unc there's a reason they have two running backs by the way and it's because mac brown starts there like that's you're going to get plenty of running back talent just like they had at texas you're going to get that at unc they're going to find that time and time and time again by the way they're all going to pass block too because in that system if the running back doesn't block the quarterback ends up on the bench uh like with an ice pack that's that's not what you want but kenneth gainwell i, I like memphis skill players who can do like a little bit of everything yeah slot receiver running back wherever you want them take them all right memphis uh, comes through again I like it. Um, I like I like him. I don't know if he's a running back, but I like him. But I felt that way about. I mean, shoot, Gibson ended up being a really nice running <laughs> between the tackles too in the league. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, we're we're gonna we're we're we, we're gonna end up because of the way the game is going. We're gonna end up with people who are going to be. I mean, this happened in soccer too. You know, over the past 20 years, you're going to end up with people who are kind of positionless. Yeah. But very important and can do a lot of different things, you know, yeah. and can play at a lot of different positions. Yeah, they, it is. Uh, they're kind of doing that on defense a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, it is, you know, like uh, Kyle Shanahan would. Well, speaking of Kyle Shanahan, actually, that's a perfect transition because we're going to talk about the quarterbacks after the break. We're going to take a few questions, a few very carefully picked questions. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the quarterbacks. First, your questions. Question. Question. Lenny, for your thoughts. All right, Spencer, just three questions I chose. Um, thank you, as always, guys, for your excellent iTunes reviews. They are lovely. I enjoy reading them. They put a smile on my face when they're nice. <laughs> um, this one I just picked out for you. I handpicked for you. It's from P-E-T-H-E-R-R. Pether. I don't know. What is the best cut of barbecue and would Tom Brady eat it? Uh, best cut. I like, uh, I like a big old bone in rib. So 
that's the best cut if you're going to get it. Get it like, you know, Texas style with the ribs still in it. Big old beef rib. So that's my favorite cut. Would Tom Brady eat it? Absolutely not. Dude is, dude is not touching this. Yeah. Do you think Tom Brady has eaten barbecue in the last 20 years? No. I do not think he has. I, I think that's... It, freaks stay freaks 24-7. And if you're as devoted to his particular lifestyle as he is, then no. No. He has not touched barbecue in the last 20 years. Also, look at where he lived. Right? Like, yeah, Tampa not, Island. Not barbecue there hubs. Might, there might be, no, no, Boston's not a barbecue hub. So no, I don't think Tom's touched it. But you know, by all means, if you're if you're within striking distance of uh, Louis Muller's in Texas, go, go get the beef rib there because it's the prototype. Do you think he allows himself to smell it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a thing, right? Because he'll probably smell it and go, "I can resist the temptation." And does right, like dude probably orders like I bet Tom Brady orders a whole bunch of extremely beautiful ripe tomatoes, right? Certainly in Tampa you can get those, just gorgeous, straight from the farm tomatoes. Keeps them out on the counter, probably cuts them open so he can smell them, and then he just walks right by because he's like, "That's a nightshade, Daddy's not eating that," and then just walks right past. Goes champion because you know he's super competitive. Of course he's going to do that. For some reason, just that whole description felt insanely inappropriate. Like just the visual of it, mm-hmm. it felt like um, it's like a, a section on a website that um, we don't want to be associated with. I don't. I'm that, I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. Um, it did. It was kind of. It got. It got lewd, and I apologize for that. <laughs> I just imagine now. I'm thinking about Tom Brady um, watching those. Uh, what do you call mukbang videos? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mukbang. Yeah. Um, okay. Pandacoustic, how does it feel to be the second best Twitter account in your family? Wow. Well, appropriate, to be honest. Is anyone in your family or extended family on Twitter? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, that they're 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 nowhere, they're nowhere near it. I had a cousin who was like, hey man, I followed you on Twitter. Didn't hear anything from him. Didn't. Every time anybody followed anybody, like when somebody on the street goes, Oh, hey, I followed you on Twitter, and they're not somebody I know who's you know part of like the sports world, my first words out of my mouth or i'm sorry I'm really sorry about um, that. I, you know, I wish like, you didn't see that yeah 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 i always i never know what to do when someone when you meet someone and then they say they follow you on twitter other than i'm sorry i don't think i've ever not said anything other than i'm sorry immediately <laughs> what else do you say <laughs> what is the appropriate thing. response i think you could also say well that's your fault that's that's another thing that's not my fault that's your fault yeah I, I, yeah that's you, your yeah, I read my tweets too. I guess mm-hmm. that could be. A yeah, weird no, thing. I, I I see them. They're they're all they're all out there, and <laughs> uh, you know I'm not apologizing for them. Um, that's your fault. It's a buyer beware situation, and the price is free. So I think we've just that explains the whole contract right there. Uh, contract. Third question, all crunch, no cap. Should the Patriots take Lance and have Cam mentor him? Well, it really depends on if 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 he is available to them a thousand million infinity percent. I think the question is, should they trade up for him? And that gets into Harry. What would it take? Where are they trading? I think I've got this weird. I've got a feeling the Patriots are going to take quarterback in this draft, and I think they might move. I might be wrong, but. It just feels like it to me. And that's a good transition, Spencer, because we're about to talk about the quarterbacks. Um, I was going to go front to back and start with Lawrence and then get to Lance Jones territory. 
Um, and then FCU, if you have any weird mid round quarterbacks, you kind of like, um, but yeah, let's stick with that. I, I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. Cause I feel like Trevor Lawrence is weirdly getting lost in all of this because I feel like it's just, you know, everyone just assumes he's number one. He is number one, but he's been so good for so long and there's not really any fun debate show topics to be had about him. And we know he's awesome and he's totally innocuous and, um, there's just like nothing interesting to talk about, but I actually think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about because I feel like a lot of the stuff were suddenly like we're getting super excited about Zach Wilson's arm angles and Justin Fields' athleticism and Mac Jones' ability to um, his accuracy. And I, I was going to do a joke there, but I didn't. Uh, and I like my joke. I, I do. Um, and Trey Lance's insanely high ceiling. Trevor Lawrence has all of those things. I, mm-hmm. so I've, I, I watched him in the past, but while watching ETN and a little bit of Amari Rogers, I just found myself not only like struck anew by how good Trevor Lawrence is, but, and this is what I want to talk about, how kind of crappy their offense was. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think you could argue I, I am going to argue that out of all of the five quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence was in the worst situation, which sounds crazy to say about a Clemson offense. I'm speaking relatively, of course, but Mac Jones was playing in Nirvana, which we've discussed. Justin Fields, he had to play a few games without allowing Wilson, but for the most part, had a pretty nice group of pass catchers and a decent offensive line. Trey Lance was playing mm-hmm. children. Zach Wilson was playing seven on seven. Lawrence was getting his ass kicked. Yeah. Am I crazy? Uh, yeah. With a line that didn't, wasn't able to pass catch as well with a, um, with a running back who was going to take him and maybe, you know, from time to time, put you behind the chains yeah. by, by being taking some optimistic and speculative runs because that was the nature of the beast with etn um you know he 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 gives and he takes and you need to understand that's that's part of the deal um also with somebody who was very much uh without sort of um the usual receiving core that they had right so uh, trevor lawrence and, and pressing this is another thing that you have to be real honest about and go Trevor Lawrence to start was pressing, yeah. you know, at, at the beginning of the season. He's not comfortable. He's trying to figure things out. And he's the dude. He he knew he was the guy. So um, how do you counter that? Well, y- you press. You try to do too much. And but once he settled in and figured out who their tools, right, you got to figure out who your assets were. Um, he was fine. He did beautifully. He still almost completed 70% of his passes um, in what was probably the most lackluster offense without like super obvious options you know like like they that's astonishing how well he did also can i just go back to the basics here the dude is six six and can throw off platform and off schedule and runs like a gazelle too <laughs> this is the, he has it all need, he literally has need, it all including yeah. a cool brother Yo, including a cool brother who kind of looks like him playing himself as his twin brother on a sitcom. Everything right? about it, if I you, love everything about that. Yeah. Dynamic, by, the way. by the way, by the way, Trevor Lawrence's brother, he's a pretty good artist, actually. Like, go check out his stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's very striking and very well done. You know, there is there are so many things to like about him. 
before I put point out the absurd fact that he took games over with his legs, with his legs, important games where when the running game wasn't going, Trevor Lawrence said, cool, I'm an option quarterback now and just ran the ball on really good defenses, 50 and 60 yards downfield. He was running power. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was running power. Uh, he's like he 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 really doesn't. He's skinny, but he doesn't. I, he doesn't really. He's so tough, and he doesn't really play skinny. Uh. No, 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 no. He does not, and can take a whooping yes. because he took at, at certain points this year. He absolutely took uh, a a pounding in the pocket and outside the pocket uh, when he was trying to make things happen. Um, he is not a delicate player. This is a football player don't let again don't don't let the hair fool you don't let the like you know sir lancelot good looks fool you this is a very rough and ready quarterback okay so we're all in on lawrence I'm, i just wanted to get that off of my chest because and i'm glad i feel like we as a society have moved on from the zach wilson number one discourse which briefly struck us for like a week or so and i i just didn't want to have to deal with that and i feel like we're, we're past it and I'm thankful. Um, now we're Zach Wilson seems to be the consensus number two pick, and then there's a lot of questions. I've got Jones is being mocked three to San Francisco, which I, I've said I said this on Twitter. I'll just gonna say it again. For some reason, I, what perplexes me about this is like the conversation going from San Francisco would be a great place for Mac Jones, which I fully agreed with, to. Mac Jones would be the best quarterback for San Francisco, which I think there's probably like a logical term for like when you flip something and you pretend it's the same, but it's not, or like a German expression, but that applies here for me. Um, and so then you're looking at a situation where Justin Fields is, is dropping, dropping, dropping. And I ask you this, um, do you think, think there's anything to that? Like, do you, you've watched a lot of Justin Fields, what do you like about him? Do you have any, you know, not for setting aside the question of why he's dropping, do you have any concerns about his game? For Jones, I don't have any concerns about his game if he goes to San Francisco. I don't because I would trust Shanahan to uh, take a lot of his shortcomings and hide them, frankly. I, I think that if because there's this concern that you can't roll Jones out or that he's not particularly mobile, that if you know he's a pocket passer only. I don't think, and I, I think there is, correct me if I'm wrong, there is demonstrated interest by San Francisco in Mac Jones. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Many okay. people in the know are reporting that this is a thing and it's likely and it's probably going to happen. Okay. So if we're all doing the bat and eyes and wiggling eyebrows flirtation between Jones and San Francisco, that means Kyle Shanahan ain't worried about it, okay? Yes. And I, I would say, okay, is there a comp for this, right? We're always looking for comps. Like, make me feel better about this. Is there somebody who is in a similar mode? If I told you that 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 Matt Ryan was able to run, roll out, and, and move the pocket pretty well uh, in his most productive season ever as a pro with Kyle Shanahan pulling the strings. I'm okay with Mac Jones, okay? Because yeah. the last thing I would initially think to describe 
Matt Ryan as is mobile, is fleet of foot, okay? He's faster than any normal human being, yes. But as a quarterback, that is not what I would say is the first, you know, couple of words that come to mind as a descriptor. So, no, I wouldn't be worried. If if Kyle Shanahan ain't worried, then, then I'm not worried. Like, as a college fan, by the way, like, Looking at, you know, when you watch the NFL and you go, man, I don't know what these people are doing. I don't know. This guy, like, who, who's who's putting this together, right? Because, like, in college, you go, well, that guy's real good, and they keep giving him the ball. And they're probably going to keep giving him the ball. And that doesn't always happen in the pros because people sort of overthink it, get in the way, right? And because it's a harder game. You're not going to see big plays as often. It's just not, it's not going to happen. But when... I, as a college fan, watch pro football, and I watch Kyle Shanahan offenses. You go, oh, this is awesome. Everybody's open. Like, (laughs) this thing's banging. Like, the scoreboard is exploding. I am a big fan of everything happening here. It all seems real smart and real well put together, right? That's my very technical analysis of what might happen if you get Mac Jones in this situation because I I think he can work with them, right? That's that long and short. I think that would be okay. Yeah, I, I... To me, first of all, I think the rollout thing is way overstated because I was just, um, mm-hmm. I pulled the numbers for Jimmy Garoppolo's 2019 season in San Francisco when they went to the Super yeah. Bowl. He rolled out 28 times. So you're, you're, you're rolling <laughs> out like twice a game. You know, it's fine. Um, I think yeah. the question with mobility with Mac, and this is separate from the uh, Kyle Shanahan offense and more just generally, is at some point in a football game, you are going to have to create on your own. Uh, you're going to play mm-hmm. defense that gets home with four, that confuses you post-snap, or you know, or your guy's just not going to win off the line. You're going to have to do something on your own, and I am not convinced. Like We have not seen that Mac Jones can do that, and certainly not at an NFL level. And the ability to do that um, requires a level of mobility that all uh, every of the other four quarterbacks in this class Lawrence Wilson Fields Lance all have so I think that to me is a very reasonable like you the floor is high but the ceiling might not be that high right with him and so I think yeah that's what puzzles me about it um at Fields it's it I think it's funny I I've seen Lance to Niners and and Jones again I think it's gonna be Jones and I don't want to really get into the speculation game it's interesting that like Fields it felt like it was never in the cards just sort of reading the tea leaves separate from the cards you read the cards then you read the tea leaves um and on some level it's like it makes sense because like Fields I mean the Ohio State offense is so different I mean you know fair amount of play action but like the verticality of it um, the, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that Justin Fields held on to the football so long, which a lot of that was a product of the verticality of the Ohio state offense, but like, it doesn't like mm-hmm. translate as obviously, but it is again, very puzzling to me. Just forget like San Francisco. Why would an Atlanta, I mean, I know Atlanta for, for financial reasons, but if they were taking quarterback, why wouldn't they take him for Arthur Smith? Or if he fell again, why wouldn't Denver take like I? I, I'm, I just am very befuddled by the fact that a quarterback who has all of these tools and such incredible accuracy and such a good arm is falling for reasons or, or being overlooked for reasons that I don't understand. So, and, 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 you know, I saw his struggles this season in, 
Indiana and Northwestern, and we can talk about that. But I, I guess I just I wanted your take. Like, why do you, when you watch him, like, what do you see? Not a lot of experience. That, that's what I when when you go, well, what's the big difference? And, and I think that it's interesting that Mac Jones gets the benefit of the doubt here, and Justin Fields wouldn't. You know, Justin Fields in his worst games, he faced two really underrated defenses. Yeah. I I, I think like Northwestern. Northwestern's so Indiana. good. Yeah, in Indiana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In like, no, just where they're supposed to be. Like, you know, like, it was just like everywhere you look up, you'd run into that. You'd run into a dude. That's, the, you know, you go, hey, we want to create space in this offense. You're not going to get much of it. And nobody's going to be out of position. Indiana, the same. I Tom Allen, Tom Allen and what he's done in Indiana. Just as a side note, a freakish performance yeah. in terms of organizing the talent that they have there, which wasn't a lot, getting more in the door and then getting them to play like they're on fire every single down. I went to Indiana to actually watch a football game. I did it. A lot, not a lot of people have, but I went to Bloomington to watch them play Michigan and they lost. But man, this was this was early on in the Tom Allen era. Two and a half quarters of the most intense competitive football you've ever seen and then everyone on michigan just got 10 pounds heavier and, and like you know a couple of ticks on the on the 40 faster right they just ran out of talent you go oh that's what happened right they're just mm. michigan just decided we're gonna drag you and they're like okay cool we're going with you and we're still gonna fight but you know and that happens in college a lot and i think what you saw with justin fields you know he's a transfer he didn't get a lot of looks in terms of game tape and in terms of reps he also, yeah, played an offense that was extremely vertical. If somebody's not open in a vertical offense and you have to wait, waiting in football in the pocket is a bad thing. And you're going to take hits. I, I think we've seen that with Ohio State, that offensively, when things went badly for them, a lot of that onus falls on the quarterback, both physically in terms of getting hit in the pocket or having to make something up or maybe making a mistake or not being able to find somebody underneath because you don't have a lot of reps and you're not used to just, okay, I'll get it out to the back or I'll, I'll get it out. That's I think Justin Fields is a little bit more of, a, of an obvious project than the others. And I think his ceiling is higher. So you're going to have to do things uh, with him that are going to be more in the bringing along and being a little more patient than I think you might with Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, obviously like just in terms of in terms of comfort as starter and reps and experience. I just think you like there's a gulf there. There's a mm -hmm. gap that you can see between Lawrence and between fields in particular. And that's what I think that's when you say, okay, well, why is he falling? Where is this gap? I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of question marks and I don't think Ohio state's offense did him any favors in terms of how he looks on the field. We talk about the context of stories that teams need to tell uh, in terms of putting talent in the right place and an understanding situation, you got to do that the other way too. You got to understand what the player was doing and where they were at, you know, like Justin Fields at no point in his college career caught an ideal situation. He at Georgia, he at Georgia was second string to Jake Fromm it, for reasons that I will never understand. Never, never. It's not like starting Jake Fromm was a disaster. It's not like starting Jake Fromm was a, a painfully obvious choice for Kirby Smart. And it's not like Georgia did badly. They did really, really well, but he was the safer choice. He had a defensive head coach who was going to take the guy who would not make mistakes. That was what Jake Fromm's whole deal was. Jake Fromm would not make mistakes. 
and Justin Fields, I feel like you're going to get some mistakes out of him, but the upside's massive. You're also like, Jay Fromm wasn't going to get the ball 50 yards downfield on the fingertips on a fly route. That wasn't going to happen. However, they chose him. So he had to transfer. And that transfer, by the way, was not pretty. There is something, this is, sorry for the sideline, but I have to get there. Every time anything happens with Justin Fields or with Jake Fromm, guess what trends in the state of Georgia? You know, you got a little trending bar on Twitter. Guess what trends? Kirby. That's the first thing. Not Fields and not Fromm. Oh, Lord. It's Kirby, right? Kirby Smart's been ridiculously successful, but every time Justin Fields finds a nickel head up on the ground, right? Every time he does anything well, every time he makes toast perfectly, somebody on Georgia Twitter is like, can't believe you picked Fromm over Fields. We'd have a national, we'd have a national title. Uh, that's the that's, that's nightmare they're living Kirby. through. So like, that was not a, that was not a pretty transfer. That was not a very well orchestrated switch uh, of locales. And then when he finally gets the chance to be the dude and gets a chance to shine, what happens to him? He runs into one of the best college football teams of all time, right? For this era, he runs into a buzzsaw and plays in a year where playing might not have even happened and then happens in really weird situations. I want Justin Fields to catch a break, right? Well, he, he, might, one, he might fall down to the freaking Patriots or something. So there you go. Uh, I That would be great. I would be like, like <laughs> tell me the QB, tell me the QB whisperer who would be nicest to him and have the most patience. That's where I hope he goes. I hope he goes somewhere where he can throw, like where he can have a Derrick Henry situation, where when he throws play action, it's the biggest, most open play action you have ever seen in your life. That's what I want. Oh, so I just kind of wrapping up the big five. I actually view Wilson and Lance really similarly. Um, Mm -hmm. Not saying that they're the same tier or whatever, uh, but um, I think they're, I, both of them, do the most things that make me gasp, but both of them are the biggest black boxes to me. Um, Wilson, well, first Lance obviously didn't play the season except for that one game that doesn't count. And then when he did play last year and through zero interceptions, um, it's like he had averaged like 18 attempts per game or something like that. Right. Um, the traits there are, the canon, the physicality, the intelligence, the decision making, um, mm-hmm. the accuracy is a little bit scattershot, but there are it, the canon isn't like a Josh Allen canon. Like he will just layer it over linebackers perfectly. Um, so, but again, it's a very small sample size against very bad opponents, and there's question marks with Wilson. Uh, it's the arm talent, the ability to throw in the run, the creation, uh, all of that. But as I mentioned earlier, um, just the absolute lack of adversity or success against adversity, I should say, in 2020. Um, so I think I, I understand why teams like both of these players and I and I I get why Wilson climbed the way he did like he makes some of the craziest throws I have ever seen a college player make but I am not confident in both uh betting on him or against him <laughs> if that makes sense yeah my my read on Wilson is that he's uh the Gardner Minshew sport model if you had if you had a lot more horsepower and <laughs> 
And if you took off the governor that made him hit checkdowns, because Gardner Minshew is funny because Gardner Minshew has this image of being your headband wearing reckless quarterback when in fact what made him so successful at Washington State was just getting the ball out to somebody. If you're, you know, four yards off the line and you're you're open, right? Like that dude would throw stick and mesh all day long and just let you do the running, right? And then do a real big celebration. Okay, take that model and then say, okay, no governor. We're just gonna just just get loose. Just just take the same model, keep the headband, maybe up, you know, like up the arm strength. And start looking downfield a lot more with zero fear. That's what you're going to get with Zach Wilson. You want to talk about a quarterback who is going to make some mistakes. Hey, y'all, Zach Wilson's going to make some mistakes. Thrilling mistakes. But he's going to make them because there's a lot of confidence in that arm. The more controlled and composed guy is Trey Lance. But Trey Lance is playing in a system at North Dakota State where they're so, like, like, that is an institution, in terms of how they create quarterbacks and mold quarterbacks, what they do with quarterbacks reminds me, not beat for beat, but it reminds me of what Chris Peterson did with quarterbacks in that you go, wow, you all look supremely in control and composed, and you look like you know where you're supposed to go with the ball, and you do things like, yeah, I layer the ball over that linebacker because I can, because I know there's a guy over there, and we work on that. That's, you know, I feel like there's this academy at North Dakota State of how how they're supposed to play football. And I think that can make you look a lot better than you are, even if you're real talented. And I think that transition from the FCS level to uh, the NFL is it's a steeper climb and you're going to have to be a little more patient with it. I think Trey Lance coming this far, looking this good, having the talent that he has, obviously, like the physical gifts and doing as well with that particular system. That speaks well to his potential. I just think, and I think this is most quarterbacks, you need like three to four years to salt you away, get your reps, get comfortable in the pros, and then we're going to work you in. Well, I don't know. Like, yeah, if, if San Francisco were to hold on to Jimmy, I think Lance would be an amazing, would be oh, amazing spot God. for him and to have a year I just, to learn there. I just thought about what they would do with him. Oh my God. And it's sick. I mean, but you make a really good point about North Dakota State because I think that's the other, like if you're not a college football person like me um, and you Mm -hmm. kind of forget who's good and and what programs they're all about, like both, and again, this is both BYU and North Dakota State, watching them, I'm like, these teams are much better than the other, like you, Mm -hmm. in BYU's case, the offense, like you're, you forget that like we think of like dominance. We think of Alabama's and Ohio state's and Clemson's of the world. These are the guys who dominate at their levels. Like they are just absolutely crushing, yeah. you know, except for uh, BYU with coastal Carolina. But um, it, you really see like, Oh, right. That's what makes them for the same reason that Mac Jones is kind of hard to evaluate because he gets to play with these incredible wide receivers. Zach gets to play behind this offensive line and Trey gets to play with like far superior talent as well. Decent offensive line too against the opponents that they're playing. Um, yeah, they're both really special players. They both really do really cool stuff, but I do, I do think they're both going to have some growing pains. I think Wilson, like you said, he's, he has so much confidence in that arm. He is going to throw some, some picks. <laughs> like mm-hmm. oh, he's yeah. going to throw no, you're, some you're getting picks. picks. Uh, and then uh, uh, 10 minutes later, he's going to make a, a play that um, gets retweeted a million times with, if this was Patrick Mahomes, ESPN would be showing this on SportsCenter. Um, no, actually, we probably will show it on SportsCenter because it's the Jets. But um, I, I I just think that they're, yeah, they both, I just have a lot of questions about both. Um, 
So I, I do. Boy, and, and with with Lance, with, with Trey Lance, like I, I think you know the ghost of Carson Wentz might throw some people off Trey Lance. I don't think it should. They're really different. The very different players. But in terms of what you get, and I think at the pros, this is a real you know this is a real advantage for them. What they're going to do, like uh, like you look at the number of passes that Trey Lance threw. North Dakota State's not going to go five wide and wear you out. They're not going to throw 50 times a game. You're talking about somebody who, you know, ideally, I think they'd want a quarterback to have like two TDs, 200 yards, 20 attempts. 18. They're going to run He up. averaged 18 attempts a game in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They want like 18 attempts. So you're going to have to have somebody playing either in a system, which is frankly, by the, the standards of the NFL today, kind of antiquated a run first system where the quarterback is really just going to have to pick their spots and you're going to try to mash people out with you know 18 play drives which if you've never seen north dakota state mash out kansas state uh when they upset them and i think week two of uh, of the season a couple of years ago had like a 1920 play drive that is one of the most sublime things I've ever seen. It just looked like a glacier coming downhill, just crushing <laughs> Kansas State. They didn't Listen, stand a chance. That's the kind, and that's the Kyle kind of quarterback that. you're going to get. San Francisco that. did that in the playoffs like, mm-hmm. like a year ago. Like they they should welcome yes, they welcome welcome the challenge. Oh, you want we're going to give you a human bulldozer at quarterback who runs like Pete Cam Newton, but is might be more accurate. It, but we're not 100 percent sure. Mm-hmm. I it just. But anyways, it's not happening. Okay, wrapping up the quarterback discussion. Are there any later guys that you kind of enjoy? I'm not saying you're saying they're going to be next Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott. Just guys you enjoy. Uh, guys, I enjoy. Which, by the way, I love that. Like the top five, the the top five people. I really enjoy them. I For think all, they're yes. a blast. I think they're all. I. It is a great year to be drafting a quarterback. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I somebody who had a little bit of a. Uh, of a weird career maybe my favorite georgia quarterback of all time jamie newman it's because he never played a game for them jamie newman jamie newman at wake forest (laughs) ran uh kind of at at times looked like cam newton he really did like just a gigantic dude with all the size in the world he's six four two thirty sometimes people would hit him and newman would just look surprised at like why did you try that what was your thought process? Because clearly you're in pain and I'm not. So so how's that going to work for you? Uh, Jamie Newman, there's a lot of potential there. I don't think Jamie Newman is somebody that you should put prime draft picks on. I don't think he's a first rounder. That's a project, but that's a project with tremendous upside, an astonishing amount of upside just in terms of I know this guy's durable. I know he's big. I know he can throw the ball a mile. And I know he has a long way to go in terms of of everything else. But that dude, I mean, I I now have come away from saying that people like I'm so hesitant to say that somebody won't be successful after this season, especially because Josh Allen was so good mm. and because he was so because he was so much better than he was in college on the things that you're not supposed to improve on, right. like accuracy. He just got better at things that people are. We kind of just assume, okay, that's a take it or leave it, right? Like you're either accurate or you're not. And that turned out to not be the case at all with Josh Allen. 
with Jamie Newman, I would say, yeah, you got to work on accuracy and reads and pretty much everything else because he's so raw and because, yeah, he did move around. He played in a really kind of quirky system, uh, the Dave Clawson offense at, at Wake Forest, where um, they do something that is so scary, Mina. I need you to go see it. Watch Wake Forest run a zone read. They hold the ball until the rusher is within like breathing distance. <laughs> I was going to say when I watched, um, so I haven't watched Jamie's games. I've just watched some highlights, but it looks like high school kind of. I, I, uh huh. It's pretty goofy. Um, yeah. When they hold the ball too long, it's a disaster. <laughs> but when they do it right, when they do it right, what you get are like two guys in the backfield completely on the turf and the quarterback running 20 yards open downfield with nobody near him. Right. So it's either a car wreck or it's a huge gain either way. So Jamie Newman, I, I think, I think there's that some people will say Kellen Mond and I'm like, I don't know. I've kind of seen what Kellen Mond can do. I think he's a very managed product at the college level. Jamie Newman, there's real fun to be had there. Somebody could probably have a blast with, with what you could do with him. Yeah. I like, I like that guy as a, you know, Day three, let's see what we can do. Kind of oh, just yeah, right, you know. project. Um, all right. As always, gonna wrap up with five questions for our guest. And now it's time for dinks and dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Question number one, since we're not talking defense at all, who is a defensive player in this draft you just love? Uh be a little bit of a homer here, T. Daryl Slayton. Okay. Daryl Slayton. Yeah, big, big old lineman out of Florida. Uh just, you know, like had flashes this year of absolute terrifying dominance i think he's i think he's somebody who's just figuring out the game and once he understands the kind of leverage that he can get once he works on his technique i mean he's got all the raw stuff man that's just a big butt in a gut dude right as mike mayock would say he's he's and he's fun too yeah he's fun so to daryl slayton i like him a lot what does it mean to have a butt in the gut butt in the gut you gotta have if you're gonna be a defensive lineman you're gonna play up the middle you gotta have a butt like a big old butt and you gotta have a gut that's a mike mayock thing like to say and it's and it's true well, but and you a gotta gut. have butt and a gut but and yeah. a gut. oh that okay i thought you said butt and a gut and i was trying to work that out in my mind like the gut looks like a butt but um did you ever do the thing when you were a kid where you would draw a face on your belly button and then like fold it over to make it look like i was talking yes Okay, yes, good. I, did. I figured. Yeah. All right. Question number two. Uh, we're going to stick with the draft theme. Are there any? Okay. So this is we. You and I just talked about how much we love the quarterbacks in this draft. Are there any quarterbacks you're excited about next year early? Who? That is a good question. Um, looking at guys who I can go. Okay. Um, I like. Listen, if if they manage to keep everybody upright. And that's and and managing quarterbacks at the University of Georgia has been a thing, but JT Dan, JT Daniels uh, hey, next year—that's the question. Um, I, I yeah, listen, the, that dude, that dude would be able to put up some numbers, some serious numbers if everybody, if everybody's cool for twenty twenty one and nobody gets injured because Daniels has missed times, uh, has missed time due to injury. But if if he's there, then yeah, they they're, they're going to put up bank they're gonna put up big numbers in the passing game at georgia some really interesting facial hair though on jt daniels um i believe you know that's i think he's changed that um, okay it, 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 it's gone back and forth 
Uh, At one we'll point, we had a mustache where it wasn't like, you know, the Minshew mustache where everyone was really charmed by it. It was like, uh, you know, the Sharpie across the face situation. Yeah. Yeah. You're also, by the way, you're going to get somebody. You talk about like production out of the state of North Carolina, like Mac Brown's impact starting Max Howell uh, or Sam Howell. Starting oh, Sam yeah. Howell yeah. as early as he did. He's going to get a lot of reps. He's going to look really good. Yeah. And he's going to be in a system where he is going to shake loose a lot of points. Yeah. I ended up inadvertently watching a lot of him watching the uh, UNC kids. And I, we'll see. Jury's still out for me. Um, okay, question four. This actually, I was thinking about this because you mentioned, or question three, rather. Uh, we talked about Trevor Lawrence's brother. So the good news about Trevor Lawrence not going to the draft in Cleveland is that uh, we're going to see his brother at home because they'll be, do- I hope he does some kind of com- like big painting commemorating the occasion. I'd really enjoy that. Um, if you were a draft pick and you were having your own party at home, what would you, like, what would be the theme I think the theme would be it would be pretty basic. And then the minute I was selected, um, all hell would break loose. So we would be your standard American living room. We discover a lot about American living rooms and and how uh, everyone basically has the same, you know, kind of slightly mediocre decorating (laughs) when you do like everybody has the same living room. Like basically Uh, there's a sectional, there's some kind of off-white carpet of some sort generally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there is a a kitchen with an island that extends into this area. That's usually what you get with a living room, right? Uh, Yeah, you get a lot of that. So you're going to continue to get a lot of that. What I would probably do is I would probably make sure that I had something like 20 dogs I could release (laughs) instantly at the point. So it'd be just absolute mayhem. Just that's what I want. I want... I want to just throw 20 dogs on on camera instantly and let them go absolutely bonkers. Or like uh, doves, like somebody could release the doves, but then they like, you know, they wouldn't come out of the box because mm-hmm. they're dead. Yeah. Uh, I don't or, know. you know, we, we need to bring we need to bring this because if you uh, bring a signing day tradition that when you sign with a team in the NFL, we basically get your mascot on camera. But in actual form, this people have brought bulldog puppies when committing to UGA um, you know, people have uh, brought little plush sort of gators when they sign with Florida, right? I think that what we need, to, fortunately, nobody's done that for Michigan because I think a Wolverine would work out very badly for everybody. It's a terrible pet. Um, and you might, you know, there would be blood loss involved at the very least. But I think when, you know, when you sign with the Eagles, you know, come on, once not you have an Eagle? Go, you know, get a, just have a golden Eagle waiting. If you sign with the Bears, have a man in a bear suit. I'm not saying have a real bear. That's okay. inadvisable. Yeah, have a man in a bear suit. Yeah, it really did. Like Jaguar. We don't want a Jaguar. Trevor, no Jaguars. But I do like a bear suit. Um, Like a Midsommar kind of. Well, not a real bear. But oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so question four. You and I both are big fans of the show Love Island. I would say you're a bigger fan. Um, You've seen them all. I've only watched mm-hmm. one American season. And I'm now I'm nearing the end of my first um British season, season five, pitch pitch the people as succinctly as you can on why they should watch Love Island. Love Island UK. You should watch Love Island. Yeah, you should watch Love Island UK. Now, the American version, that's up to you to decide. I'm going to stump for Love Island UK. One, you will learn more about the English language than you have ever known in your life because you weren't speaking English, you were speaking American. You will learn the meanings of the word fit. You will learn type. You will learn um, that... 
there is a New Jersey of England and it is Essex and it is just as entertaining on reality television as you would imagine. You will also learn that um, everyone in the you will learn this, that the British are just better at reality TV. They're mm. better at reality TV. You know why? Because instead of engineering conflict, they just kind of let things happen. And when you let things happen, you get people who are bored and trying to entertain themselves in a really nice villa. Um, and that's way more entertaining than like mocking up. Cause I, I don't know if you've, have you noticed that about love Island that they really don't manufacture a whole lot of conflict. That's true. Although, well, I would argue Casa more tends to, uh, right. for those who don't know, love Island is a show where these, a bunch of strangers, find love but then they send they either the men or the women to a different location where suddenly they are introduced to a bunch of new people and this usually stirs up conflict not always yeah so. that is also no not always and also you'll notice everyone on there they, they do things americans would not do which is this when somebody takes somebody else's mate right when they take their their date there's no animosity there's none they're like fair play yeah that's the game that's the game you should go you should date you know you should make sure that we're a good fit or you should make sure that you know you're not missing out there right because i'm gonna do the same it's mind-blowing and it's so refreshing when you watch it additionally the accent tour you will get of you the started British slipping Isle. into a manchester accent just now uh as uh-huh. you were, yeah little mancunian a little bit yeah um yeah well, that brings me to my final question. As always, from Lenny, I'm just the messenger. Um, of course, Lenny wants to know. Well, he says he knows that collectively you've probably spent about 150 hours watching Love Island. He wants to know how you feel with the awareness that you probably could have learned not one but two languages in that time. Well, I would tell Lenny that I know that, um, I don't know, you spent four years in New Haven, Connecticut, right? It's true. Yeah, that's that that to me would be way more of a waste of time of life energy than watching what I will admit, eight full days of my life have been spent watching every single hour of Love Island UK, and it was totally better than spending that much time in New Haven, Connecticut. If you got this far in the podcast, yeah, I just said that, New Haven. Come at me. (laughs) That's 192 hours, by the way. 